Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right, Romans chapter 1, Romans 1, and uh, we have made our way out of the introductory passages of the book of Romans, verses 1 through 7, and we have made our way into verses 8 through 15, which details Paul's deep desire uh, to see the people at Rome, the church at Rome. And um, we're going to look at some, some more interesting background today. Um, that, that may have contributed to Paul's desire to, to be there at Rome. And um, we're, we're going to, you know, we'll, you'll, you'll see, we'll, we'll get there. I don't want to get ahead of myself and be, you know, and repeat myself. So we'll, let's read verses 8 through 15, and then we'll, we'll dive into it and talk about it and try to make sense of it all. Verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you, by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that it teaches us, the way it helps us, uh, the, the strength of our lives. The foundation we stand on is in direct proportion to the time we spend in your word. I pray that you'd guide us and lead us and help us and teach us today how to be a church whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And uh, Lord, we know that comes through faithfulness to you and... Um, and, and that happens as we obey your word and apply it to our lives. Dear God, help us, and we'll do our best to uh, obey and pray that you be honored and glorified through it all. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, that, that's our topic today. Look again at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, last time we talked about the apostles concern for these people and his thankfulness for these people. And um, it, you'll see that it, it, a comma is added there after his, his being thankful to God. And he explains why that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And we've talked about why this is so miraculous because there's no apostle there. In fact, he goes on to tell them that you, you need to be grounded. All right. So I, I need to come teach you. Uh, I desire for us to have a mutual faith Make sure we're in line together, and, and it, would be, it would excite me to be there. In fact, we're going to look at some, 
some of the, the, the times in the Bible when the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of people and he told them, your faith comforts me. I am excited. I, I am overjoyed because you demonstrate faith in Jesus Christ. And, and that just does something to somebody who loves Jesus Christ. When they see a group of people who are striving to be obedient to the Lord, man, what a joy that is. And the exact opposite is true. You see a group of people who just refuse to obey God or an individual that you look at and you know they just keep making these, these ungodly decisions and it's grievous. And you know where it's going to end up. And you go and you try to help them. You try and explain to them. You try to be nice and encouraging and all those things when you really want to pick up a two-by-four and crack them in the head <laughs> because you're about to make a mess of your life. And you don't have to. If you would trust God and trust Jesus Christ, not only would it strengthen your life, would it make you strong, but it would demonstrate a faith that the world, that the world of people who love Jesus Christ would be so excited to see. The Bible is very clear. The way of the transgressor is hard. People keep saying, I don't understand why my life is so hard. Why is it so difficult? Well, <laughs> the problem is if we sat down and talked about that, you'd be steaming mad at me. Because we're going to go back 10 years, you know, 15 years, 20 years, and we're going to talk about some decisions you made. Were you in church or out of church? Well, I mean, I went occasionally. Well, that's the first problem. Did you read your Bible or not? Well, I mean, I read it on Easter. There's the second problem. Uh, it, you know, it just it, we, we, it, it'll start compounding and it'll start building and we're going to see a pattern of bad choices that, that cause you to end up in a terrible situation. And you're sitting there wondering, why is God doing this to me? Uh, are you God? <laughs> because that's the only person you could be talking about. You made the decisions. So it wasn't God that did this to you. In fact, if we went back and, we, and I showed you the decision you made compared to what God would have told you to do, you're going to find out real fast that it was you that did this to you. And had you obeyed God, you'd be enjoying the blessings of a fruitful life on a firm foundation right now. And if you're not, that's why. Now, we're not talking about problems Everybody's going to have problems. We talked about it in Sunday school last week. The Lord said, here's a, here's a foolish man. Here's a wise man. They both built a house. The wise man built his house on a rock. The foolish man built his house on sand. A storm hit both of them. <laughs> All right, so being wise and obeying the Lord does not exempt you from problems. It prepares you for them. It gives you a foundation to be on so that when they come, you don't shatter I have Brother Hoyt and, and, and Miss Kathleen going through back-to-back-to-back-to-back medical problems and sicknesses and all these things. It's, it's discouraging. Uh, Miss Pat, I mean, her, if her hair's not on fire, I'm guessing she's not happy. <laughs> but it's been back-to-back -back issues for her husband and taking care of her mom. And then, you know, I have things I need her to do with here at the church. And, you know, I don't want to fire her if she's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. <laughs> That, that, that kind of thing, that, that level of pressure is immense. And if you don't have somebody to help you through that, if you don't have a foundation to stand on when all those problems start converging upon you, that storm is coming. There is no way, there's no way around it. The storm is coming. Have you prepared yourself? All right, we, we talked about it this morning in Sunday school. Jesus Christ said, disciples, get in the boat. We're crossing the sea. The next thing they know, they're like, Jesus, get up. <laughs> There's a storm. We're about to die. And he's, he got up and he rebuked them. Then he calmed the, the, the wind. He calmed the storm. All right, so he said, we're getting in this boat. We're crossing the sea together. He didn't say there wouldn't be storms on the way. And now you can go through life in the boat with Jesus Christ and let those storms pound you, being ready, running to the Lord as your refuge, or you can get in that same boat, cross that same sea of life, that same storm's going to come and you can do it all by yourself. It's, it's up to you. I would encourage you. 
to have a faith that keeps you close to the Lord and in obedience to his word. And if you're obedient to his word, it's going to build a life that is prepared for storms, that's prepared for difficulty. Now, here's here's the harder part, (laughs) something we're going to find out in just a moment. Some of the people Paul wrote to and said, I am so encouraged and comforted by your your faith. They were in the midst of affliction because of their faith. (laughs) So everything I just told you is just life's problems. Now let's compound that by a a, a government power that hates you and would like to put you to death. (laughs) So we've got it pretty easy in our current situation. And, and what concerns me is that ease and that comfort. Like we talked about this morning in Sunday school, people get saved and they say, Jesus did all that for me. I'm never going to hell. Yeah, well, where's the recliner? <laughs> I'm just going to kick back and do nothing now. I don't need to. Jesus did it for me. Well, the Bible repeatedly says, God himself says, sometimes I have to send or allow terrible tribulation and affliction to stir you up. I don't want to be stirred that way. I don't want you to be stirred that way. So why don't we do it ourselves so the Lord doesn't have to send us a Nero who wants to burn you at the stake or execute you because of your faith. Let's enjoy the comforts that America provides, that life has given us, But let's also be zealous to serve the Lord and do what we're supposed to be doing and demonstrate our zeal and and a faith that can be spoken of. Now, this, this passage, it reveals a people who were faithful to serve God, whatever their level of knowledge was. That's even more incredible. Who taught them to be faithful to God? Who knows? But they did it. They don't have a Bible. They might have the Old Testament. Maybe they have some of the the epistles that are circulating. Maybe. But as far as we know, all all they might have access to is the Old Testament at this point in time. Now, the letter to, to the Romans was one of the latter letters that Paul wrote. So other letters are in circulation at this time. Maybe they got a copy. That's hard to tell. That's not an easy thing to do back then. I mean, today we just... I'll email it to you. Be there in two seconds. Back then, it was a huge ordeal to get a copy of a letter to someone else. Right? But they were expected to do that and, and often instructed to let other churches read letters that they received from the, the Apostle Paul or, or Peter or, or James or John or whoever it might be. So whatever their knowledge level was, they were, they were obedient to the point that their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. And, and, and mind you, we haven't gotten to it yet. We'll get to it eventually, maybe uh, sometime this year. But the second half of this chapter <laughs> is all about the, the depraved lifestyle of the people that live around them. They live in a disgusting environment with immoral people who do sick and twisted things. They don't know what their gender is. Their hair is green. They have holes in their ear. They don't know what bathroom to use. <laughs> All, all that is still going on here. That's not new. I mean, the, one of the first things this chapter addresses when it starts talking about the people at Rome, as in not the church, but the Roman citizens, is that you have unnatural relationships with men and men and women and women. Does that sound like something new? It, it's certainly modern. <laughs> it's up to date. Nothing has changed. But the progression of events and the troubles are exactly the same. Exactly the same. And yet this church is thriving and doing great in the midst of all that. There's no excuse for us, especially not here. Uh, But they they are never rebuked for their lack of knowledge. They are praised for being faithful in what they know. How'd that be? I mean, wouldn't that work out pretty well if you just... Well, I need to learn more. Yeah, you do. Everybody, we all need to learn more about God, more about his word. We all need to study it more, memorize it more, hide it in our hearts more, apply it more, all that. But what if you just took what you already know and became obedient to that? 
That'd be a great starting point. And, and the, the Lord says to these people who, as far as we know, lack knowledge. So the Apostle Paul has to write them this epistle to give them the knowledge they need. And he says to them, your faith, whew, it's wonderful. It's good. So whatever it is they knew, they were practicing it. They were, they were faithful to it. They were diligent in whatever it is they knew. And, and the Lord praised them for it. So we, we just need to be faithful to what we know and strive to continue to learn more. Lester Roloff used to say, uh, when I learned better, I started doing better. <laughs> that's a good approach to life. That's, that's simple country boy approach. Lester Roloff went to Baylor University. You know how he paid his way through school? He took a milk cow with him, a dairy cow, to college and would give them a certain amount of milk every day to pay his way through school. <laughs> Uh, you probably couldn't do that today. And don't bring pigs here to the. <laughs> Amen. Your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Something about this church in Rome stood out to the world. To the world. He didn't say it was spoken of throughout all of Christianity. He said their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. People all over were hearing about this church and what they were doing. That's incredible. Their faith their confidence in Jesus Christ, their dependence upon God, it was spoken of throughout the whole world. Not, not their temples, not their buildings, not their properties, not their food. I mean, Italian food is pretty good. That's, that's part of the problem. <laughs> it's not good for you, but it's pretty, it tastes good. <laughs> but that's not what Paul didn't write and say, man, I heard about that pasta you made last week. As I heard about your faith. That's amazing. And say, I heard about the monuments in Rome, the aqueducts, and, the, and you have roads. You have cobblestone roads in Rome, which were, for their day, a, a feat of engineering. Incredible. No. No, I heard about your faith. In the midst of a, of a dirty, filthy, Gentile, depraved nation, we've heard about your faith throughout the whole world. Praise the Lord. And so they were known, they were characterized, characterized by their faith. So it just, it leads to a natural question, you know. <laughs> if I go and ask all the people that know you, tell me something unique about this person. What would they say? Would it be your faith? Would that, be the, would that be the characteristic about them? Oh, they, they love Jesus Christ. Or would they say, oh, they go to church? <laughs> they were drinking beer with me last week. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's a problem. When people say, if, if, if you do that, if you live that way, you claim to be one thing here, why would you come here if you go and do that? Like just, why? <laughs> you know, you're, you're a double-minded man. Unstable in all your ways. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to live that way? Either go be a drunkard or come and be faithful in Christ Jesus. But don't pretend to be one or the, don't pretend to be both, depending on the crowd that's around. All right, now I can go hang out with drunkards and never take a drink, and they will understand exactly where I stand. And I can be nice to them, I can be friendly with them, I can be respectful to them, and, and never cross that line. All right, but. I'm not going to go to that crowd and say, well, nobody from church is here. <laughs> Let's just have a few drinks and hang out with the guys. No. No, you just ruined the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen. Because that's in their mind, that's what they're thinking. Like, he claims to be a Christian. He goes to church. And he's here drinking with us. He's no different than us. So I don't need to go there. He comes here to get what we got. What's the point? Why go to church if that's how you're going to live and that's what you're going to do? If, if the language you use here is different than the language you use in everyday life, why? Why? Why would that be? How could it be that if I, if I, I, I said, oh, you're friends with this guy? Does he, does he cuss? Oh, yeah, he cusses like a sailor. Really? Well, he doesn't talk that way at church. I wonder Why? So what characterizes you? Is it your faith in Jesus Christ? That should, be the, that should be the definitive factor. 
Now, I, I, unless they don't know me well, I would imagine most people understand that, that since 2010, that has been the foundation of my life. I have either worn them out with Jesus Christ and they're tired of hearing it, or they have seen me move all over the, over the world for Bible school or to be a missionary or, or to come be a pastor. Or it's, it's all about Jesus Christ. Now, that's not to say they wouldn't say there are some issues. They might, they might say that. <laughs> it's a, that that's just how it is until I get rid of this body of flesh and have made and given a body like Jesus Christ, you're going to struggle with some things. That's fine. But the dominant characteristic of your life should be, the, should be your faith in Jesus Christ. And if it's not, why not? What is the issue? What's hindering you? What's, what's, what's creating the confusion? Why are you torn between two worlds? Why are you living double li- a double life for different people? That's an unstable way to approach life. And be sure your sin will find you out. <laughs> be sure it's going to come out. And, and, and this is the best part. I'm not going to go looking for it. It's just going to fall at our, foot, at our feet. It's just how it happens. Like, well, you were checking on me. No, I wasn't. My, I, I, I have some friends who, are, who, who were drug addicts, and we we're trying to help them and all these things. And I would just pop up to see them. And they're like, oh, you're here to check on me? Like, no, I just come to see you. And they, their head would just would drop immediately because there were things they were supposed to be doing and were telling me that they were doing. And if indeed they had been doing them, their life would be continually progressing in the right direction. And it wasn't. Guess why? (laughs) Because they were doing the same old garbage that they had been doing. And now the person, the person that shows up and gives them this jolt of a reality check they're standing face to face with and don't know what they're going to say. And so they get mad at me and say, well, you're just, you're just checking. I'm not checking up on you. Just your life is going to demonstrate who you are and what you are. And these people at Rome with very little knowledge, no access to an apostle in the middle of depravity, their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I, that, that is the aim. That is my goal for this church. I know several churches around this country in the middle of nowhere that have, that have access to nothing, and yet their faith as a church is spoken of throughout the whole world. And, and they are an encouragement. They are a blessing. The, the strength of those churches, their faith in Jesus Christ is, is so foundational that people come from all over to come and see it and want to know, how can we do that? How can I be a part of that? How can I take that back home and, and, and introduce it there? And, and so that, that's, that's our aim. Now, we, we talked about uh, the people at Rome a couple of lessons back, and we talked about how it might be that this church at Rome came to be started. And one of the things we talked about was Paul's interaction with uh, Aquila and Priscilla, who came from Rome. And so we're going to look at that a little bit more, because I, I think that that might be foundational to Paul's desire to go and see this place. Because what we're going to find out in just a second, Paul had shorn his head. He had shaved his head. And he made a vow that he was going to go to Jerusalem, even though the Holy Spirit told him not to. Three times, the Holy Spirit told him, don't go to Jerusalem. And he said, I'm going to Jerusalem. All right, he decided he was going. There was nothing that was going to stop him. On the way... Guess who travels with him? On the way to Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla. They, they not only stayed together for about a year and were tent makers together and spent all that time together. When he leaves, he goes to Ephesus and his purpose in Ephesus, he called the church leaders to tell them, I'm leaving and grievous wolves are going to come in and rip you apart. <laughs> but I'm going to Jerusalem. And at that meeting, He leaves Aquila and Priscilla there at Ephesus, and he goes on to Jerusalem and goes through exactly what the Holy Spirit told him he was going to go through. If you go to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest you, and then they're going to execute you. And that's exactly what happened. Now, let's let's, let's look at some of that. Acts 18, some of of this backstory is, is interesting. It's 
kind of fun to, to see. Now, what, what the first thing I want to show you, um, f- before we do that, go, go back to Romans, Romans 16. Hold your place in Acts and go to Romans 16. If, if, you, have a, um, if you have a Bible that has the footnotes in it, put there by the King James translators, um, look at the very, after verse 27, the very end, there might, you might have a footnote there. Some Bibles don't include them, so you may or may not have it. But if you do, look at this footnote put by the King James translators, written to the Romans from where? Anybody have it? From Corinth, right? So Paul is in Corinth, and he writes this letter to the Romans, and then it says it was sent by Phoebe, servant of the church at Sincrea. All right, now come back to Acts 18, and we'll read verses 1 through 3. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. All right, so this is where he is when he writes this letter to the Romans. And this is the interaction. This is what's so interesting about this. All right. He's, he's at Corinth. He's about to depart and go to Jerusalem. When he leaves Corinth, he's going to start his, his route to Jerusalem that eventually gets him arrested. But he, in Corinth, he meets this couple who were forced to leave Rome. And so, I, 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 again, I can't say it definitively, but it seems like this is what started this love for Rome and his heart and mind. All right, so if you come back to verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought for by their occupation, they were tent makers. So he spent about a year there with them doing this, making tents. And they are forced to leave Rome because they're Jews <laughs> for no other reason. Now, there, there might, the Bible gives some idea as to why that might be. We'll look at that in just a second. Um, it, it could be just because they were Jews and, and the world hates Jews. It's just, it's God's chosen nation. The world hates them. It's just how it is. If it wasn't for the, the long-lasting uh, Christian influence on this country and many others, they'd hate the Jews also and, and would provide them no protection. And, and the problem is now we're running off the residuals of what used to be a, a country that was built on Christian principle. It was never a Christian nation, but it was built on Christian principle in many ways, and it caused it to be a firm, strong country, and it lasted this long, but I'm afraid we're about to kiss it goodbye. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so uh, Paul, he's there with Aquila and Priscilla. He teaches them, and if you'll remember, later, Aquila and Priscilla teach Apollos, the same people. But where'd they get that from? The Apostle Paul, this, this is a strong relationship between these, these people. And they came from Rome, and I can only imagine what they were telling him about Rome and about the believers in Rome. And, and so it must have stirred his heart up for that, for that city. Look at verses 18 and 19, same chapter. And Paul, after this, tarried, uh, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then he took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria, and with him, and with them Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sincrea, for he had he had a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, and then he went on to um, uh, give his farewell to the elders at Ephesus as, as all this progressed and he made his way on back. Now, what could have possibly caused uh, Claudius Caesar to respond this way? Look at Acts 11. Um, first, we know it's just a natural hatred. The, the Gentiles hate the Jews. It's just how it is. Um, until Jesus Christ comes back and puts it down, it's just the way it's going to be. But Acts 11, verses 27 through 28 And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus. Am I in the right verse? Yeah. 
Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now, if you, if you imagine the buildup to this dearth that's coming in the days of Claudius Caesar, and he's got a nation of people to take care of, well, one of the best ways to make sure you're in a position to take care of your citizens is to get rid of people you don't think need to be there. <laughs> so Jews, you got to go. Go back to Jerusalem. We can't take care of you here in the midst of a dearth. We can't have you here with all this going on. So you got to leave. You got to get out. Now, it could have been more sinister than that. It could have been just his simple hatred for the Jews and, and the common hatred that Gentiles tend to have for the Jews. That's very possible. But if we're going to use cross-references, it looks like this turned into a hard situation, a dearth in the land. And, and uh, of course, Agabus, he, he prophesies here, it's the same Agabus who told Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. <laughs> Later, this same Agabus would be used, and he, he took Paul's girdle and said, you know, this is what's going to happen to the man that owns this girdle, and tied himself up. <laughs> uh, but Paul was determined to go. With, with this forced removal also comes persecution. And it's unfortunate that sometimes persecution is required to stir up God's people. I wish that wasn't so. I hope we don't have to go through that, but it looks like our country is heading in that direction. And if, you know, these next few elections are going to be very telling about the future of our country. And it's, it's sad that we're in a position that the two men who will likely be the two candidates is all we have. <laughs> That's a pathetic place to be. All right, whether you're Republican or Democrat, both sides should be looking at our choices and saying, what's wrong with us? What have we done? All right, now, now I'm going to vote for the man who's going to do his best to give us our freedom to, to preach the gospel and to remain free and relevant. Right, that, that's the one that I'm going to vote for. But I don't like either choice. It's like the Lord has two reprobate monkeys standing in front of us, one who's half brain dead and the other one who's not brain dead. But when you hear what he has to say, it's just as problematic. <laughs> you might as well be brain dead. <laughs> you, couldn't even, you couldn't leave your wife alone with that man and he's going to be president of the United States. All right, so it, it's just... it's. We're not in a good spot in either direction. And, and, and we're, moving in a, we're moving ideologically as a country. We're moving in a direction where people who despise God and hate people, hate people who would cling to God, are, are taking positions of power. And now we have, we still have some, um, we still have some, some, institutions in place that give us quite a bit of protection, but man, they are doing their best to rip those down. And, they, and more and more, they're being torn apart. And so how long will it last? Who knows? But trouble is coming. If, if, the, if these people get their way, if Bernie Sanders and AOC and Ilhan Omar and all these people, get, if they get into power, uh, you, you will be persecuted. They will come after you. They will, they will try and take your children. Now, just a fair warning, you come knocking on my door trying to take my children, it's not going to go well for you. Yeah. Right? So we, we might all step out into eternity together um, before I let you come in and take my children. But that's what they want to do. That is their desire. That is their goal. All right? Children are pawns. And if they can influence your children and, and teach them to... Uh, to think a certain in a certain ideological direction. How do you think we went from less than 1% of our population being homosexual and transgender to like 12% in just a few years? I mean, they, they openly tell you, we are going into your schools. We're going to teach your children. It, it's, it's a dedicated ideology. They're going to do it. My, God, God willing, as long as we, we can do it, our children will never step foot into a public school. I don't care where it is. The stuff that they teach in public schools, that's all I need is for a guidance counselor going and telling my son, you know, you really might be a girl. But we don't have to tell your parents about what we can make available to you. 
And it's happening all across this country. It just, just books. You want to go into a school library and see what books they have in there? <laughs> Playboy never came up with something as filthy as the books that are in your children's libraries today. All right, now, in the midst of all that, that that's wrong. That's not just here. That's wrong. There's a great church whose faith is spoken of, but they're about to enter into great persecution. Now, look, look, at, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, I wish God had something else to say about it than this, but this is what he said. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God. So that's the answer. Do you lose your salvation? Not if it's kept by the power of God. <laughs> All right, so that, that, that's the answer. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Ha <laughs> though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Whom having not seen, you love, in whom though now you see him, come on in, have a seat. Whom having not seen, you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. All right now, you see the progression of events there. The the as things progress there. The Lord says that they are happy, they are rejoicing about the trials, the temptations, the, 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 the affliction, the trouble that they're going through. The Lord says, <laughs> you're happy about it. Rejoice. Because there, there, is, there, there is an aspect of this that is going to strengthen you and bring you to the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Now, I don't, want to, I don't want my faith to have to be strengthened that way. He said it was more precious. He said their temptation, their being tempted, their affliction is more precious than gold. <laughs> I'd kind of rather have the gold <laughs> than the affliction. Like, I, I, don't, I don't shy from trouble, but I don't like trouble. But I am warning you, and I'm warning myself, and I'm warning anyone who listens to this, this weak, impotent, relaxed, comfortable Christianity that we have is going to have to be stirred up if you won't stir yourself. If you want a faith that is spoken of throughout all the world, it requires you to get up and do something. But as long as we kick back and and ride the recliner to heaven, the Lord might rip that recliner out from under you, and, it, and it, might be a, it might be a government agent with a gun that does it for you. We, we, we just don't want to do things that way. I would rather be proactive. I don't want to sit around and wait for the Lord to say, all right, I'm going to have to do something to stir these people. Nothing is happening. Nothing is changing, so I'm going to have to do it for them. We don't want to be those people. We don't, want to be, we don't want to put God in that situation. Look, souls are dying and going to hell. This world needs the word of God. They need to escape confusion. 
And the only way for that to happen is for us to go out and do all that we can to tell people about Jesus Christ and get them the word of God. It's essential. It doesn't happen without us. There's no other way. All right, so something in our hearts are going to have to be stirred up to get us where we need to be to make sure that this happens before God has to stir it for us. And we don't want the Lord to have to stir it for us. Look at 2 Corinthians, and we'll see. I want to make some connections about this faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 through 24. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy for by your faith, for by, by faith, ye stand. There's, there's no other way. Right? But faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right? So, you say, so life is, affliction is coming, trouble is coming, um, just life itself is coming. I'm sick today. I'm fine tomorrow. I'm sick again. I'm sick for a week. I'm tired of this. I'm over this. There's emotional struggles. There's depression. There's all these things that life is going to, to throw at you. And that's apart from the potential affliction and, and torment that might come because of your faith in Jesus Christ. How are you going to stand against all that? You're going to get in the word of God. You're going to find out what God says about it. And you're going to believe that. And when it happens, you're going to do that. It's that simple. And that's what these people at Rome had done that caused, that caused Paul to write to them and say, your faith is spoken of throughout all the world. So when Claudius Caesar comes and says, Moors, you got to go. Get out. What are you going to do? Like, Don't you know I have rights? Caesar doesn't care that you have rights. And then when he says, you know, we can't have, you know, we can't have people like you here. Crazy people who believe the Bible. You think Jesus died and was buried and rose from the dead. <laughs> we can't have that here. So you got to get out. You got to go. What are you going to do? If you don't have a faith to stand on, if you don't have a God to, to trust in, if it's just a, a game to you, if you just show up every now and then and kind of play the part, you're going to shatter and you're going to say, well, I have a bill of rights. You don't have a bill of anything anymore. It's all just about gone. We're getting close. And so claiming that this, this American patriotism, I, I, look, I love this country. I do. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the freedoms that we have. But I hate to be the one to tell you that, that your patriotism is founded upon something that America used to be. It is rapidly moving in a different direction. It's not the same place. You have the same patriotism, but it's being put into, it's being applied to a very different country. And it's leaving people like us behind. People who believe in God, people who love God's word, people who just want to be left alone and free to worship God the way that we want. We're going to get left behind and trampled upon. Where are you going to stand when that happens? What are you going to stand on when that happens? It won't be a bill of rights. It won't be a constitution. It won't be your patriotism. None of that is going to be valid. If you don't have the word of God, if you don't have Jesus Christ, if you don't have an understanding from God's word how this world operates, you're going to crumble. It's going to be rough. It's going to be hard. Look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 18. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith, your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what Paul said to Rome in, in Romans chapter 1. 
Your faith is spoken of throughout all the world. I thank God for you. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. All right, so this faith that they have, it's in Jesus Christ. Now, again, how do they get there? Faith cometh by hearing. And that is always the answer. And sometimes we go out on the streets in different places, and we try to tell somebody about Jesus, and, and they say, I have my own faith. In what? In, in what? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How can you have your own faith? Where did, did you go to the store and buy it? I mean, where did you get it from? Did you just make it up? And, and ultimately, that's all they did. They, either, they, they take bits and pieces of things they hear around the world, and they just make up their own, their own faith, and, and it would help nobody do anything. You and your faith are going to lift up your eyes in hell being in torment. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If that's not the foundation of your faith, you are way off track. And you're headed for eternal trouble. Eternal trouble. You're about to make an eternal mistake that can't be corrected once you step out into eternity. There is no looking back. I, I heard a guy the other day, uh, he was dead serious. He's a Roman Catholic and something happened to him. I think he got knocked out or something. And he said he, he woke up in a hospital with this bright light and he said, I thought I was in purgatory. And he was dead serious. And I said, uh, never mind. <laughs> it doesn't exist. How can you be there? I mean, it's, it exists up here. It doesn't exist anywhere else. Now, hell exists. And you're not going to go to hell for a little while. And then after, you know, get a Roman Catholic priest to trick your parents into giving them money so they can pray to get you out of purgatory. It's not going to happen. You're going to make them richer. You're going to make that church richer. They're going to take your money, misuse you, abuse you, and you're going to be in the same hell that you were in when it, when it all started. Like God is not counting time off your time in hell. It's an eternal resting place. If you want to call that rest. You're going to lift up your eyes in hell being in torment. That's what the Bible says. And it's the only break you're going to get is when God pulls you out of hell you stand before him at the great white throne of judgment. He judges you. You're not washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Your sins have not been forgiven. So you're going to pay for your sins. Then he's going to cast you into the lake of fire. And that will be final. There will be no coming back from that. You're not going to, after a thousand years, I'll get out of purgatory. There is no purgatory. It doesn't exist. And then Jehovah's Witnesses, well, in, in uh, was it, Gehenna. They say that Gehenna is a, was a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. Okay, well, here, here's the problem with that. that. That's what they call hell. They say, well, what Jesus was really talking about was a, a garbage dump that was on fire outside of Jerusalem. Okay, well, he said where the fire, the, the fire does not stop. Unless that garbage dump is still burning, then Jesus Christ was a liar. Right? He was not talking about a garbage dump. Yeah. And, and you're going to die and you're going to go to hell if you don't trust in Jesus Christ. If you don't have this faith. He said, your faith in Jesus Christ, in the Lord Jesus. That's who they were trusting. That's the faith that was spoken of throughout all the world. That's what it was. And it's all based upon the word of God. What the, and and, and even, even, even more incredible, what little bit of the word of God they knew. We're, we're at a terrible advantage. <laughs> Normally you say you're at a terrible disadvantage. That's, that's not the case. We have a massive advantage. We have the collected writings of every godly man to ever walk this planet at our fingertips. And we still can't get a faith that's spoken of by our neighbor, much less the whole world. That should not be. 
that cannot, that, that, that won't stand here. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Just a few more stops. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verses 5 through 10. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. I mean, that, that's pretty simple instruction. It, people say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. Okay, here's two things. Watch and just be sober. Well, you mean I can't drink beer? <laughs> Why do you want to drink beer? What's the problem? The reason you want alcohol, the reason you want drugs, is you're trying, to, you're, you're trying to get rid of something. You're trying to numb something. You're trying not to deal with something that needs to be dealt with. That's the entire purpose. There's no other reason. Well, it feels good. Compared to what? Facing reality? It might feel good compared to facing reality. The problem is reality is not leaving. And, and your lack of sobriety is only temporary. And you're going to have to do it again. And you're going to have to do it again. And every time you step back, every time you step out of that drunken stupor or that, dr that drug-induced stupor, reality is still sitting there waiting for you. It's not going anywhere. So act like a man. Stop being a weak coward step up and do what you're supposed to do Amen. take care of yourself take care of your family be where you're supposed to be do what you're supposed to do get your emotions under control if you have Jesus Christ he has enabled you to get to bring this body under Amen. and your failure to do that is a choice that you made stop making that choice it, it's, I know that sounds overly simplistic, but that's, that's about how it goes. Verse 7, for, for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. And that's, that's now today it's gotten so bad that they just, they go ahead and take care of the day and the night <laughs> and walk around in a drunken stupor. Verse 8, but let us, you see that? That's they, that's them. All right, if, if, if the, if, if the people of this world want to walk around in a drunken stupor, that's them. But, but, now he's going to turn to us, who should not be part of them. And if you are, that goes back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, why? Why are you double-minded? Why are you on both sides of the fence and wonder why it's tearing you apart? <laughs> All right, so we, but, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, who died for us. Does that mean anything to you? He shed his blood for your sin. Why can you not try and have a faith that's spoken of throughout the whole world? Why do you have to continue to struggle with the very things that he saved you to take you away from? Why would you do that? Who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That is the ultimate goal and resting place of the Christian. We're going to go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and I, I certainly hope you'll be there and be part of it all. And, and so look, look at 1 Thessalonians 3. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 8. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. Now, where did Paul go after Athens? Who remembers? Yeah, we just read it. Good job. You let the teacher give the answer. The studious one, the teacher's pet. <laughs> so he went to Athens. So not long after what you're reading right here, not long after that, he wrote that letter to the Romans that we're, that we're studying today. So wherefore, when we, we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, 
and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it, even as it came to pass, and ye know, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and your labor be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from, uh, from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and, and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, uh, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our afflictions and distress by what? By your faith. Do you see what your faith could do for somebody else? People that love the Lord Jesus Christ, when they meet somebody who was faithful to him, it encourages them. It comforts them. And here you have the Apostle Paul in the worst of situations, afflicted. And he said, but man, when I heard about how faithful you've been, oh, I, I can stand. I can keep going because I know that you have chosen to be faithful to Jesus Christ. That's a big responsibility. That means your individual faith has that potential to do for somebody else. And our faith collectively as a church has that same potential to help other churches to encourage them and strengthen them and comfort them on their way. How heartbreaking is it to hear that another church has folded? That they quit, they close the doors, they shut it down, they're gone. All around Detroit, these these booming churches from the 50s to the 80s with these big, beautiful buildings are being bought by Muslims and turned into moss. That's the state of Christianity in America. Don't let that be so here. But I can't do it alone, though it's, it's incumbent upon me to make sure that my faith is strong and you can't do it alone. But if your faith is strong, it's going to comfort the person next to you. And if our faith as a church is strong, it's going to comfort the next church. When they find out what's going on at Goforth, well, they're closing the doors and selling the property. It's heartbreaking. It's grievous. It's sad. It doesn't comfort anybody. It doesn't help anybody. But it doesn't, having a faith that is spoken of throughout the whole world doesn't happen unless there are a united group of people who love Jesus Christ and who love his word and are willing to labor together to make sure that doesn't happen here. That means giving your time, that means giving your money, that means giving your labor, giving, put in, putting in effort and making a valid attempt to make sure this church has what it needs and that it keeps going and that we end up being a blessing to others. You, you go back to Romans 16 real quick. Well, you don't have to. I'll read it to you. Uh, some of you don't have it in your Bible. I, I, I just, we're going to read that again. I'm going to read it to you again, and then we're going to look at a verse, and then we'll be done. So the last thing it says, put there by the King James translators. Now remember, this, this, these footnotes are not uh, inspired scripture. But the King James translators had enough context for, for these passages, for this information, they felt it was important to add into the Bible. All right, so it's, it's valid, though it's not scripture, if that makes sense. And so what he says is, written to the Romans from, Cor Cor from Corinthus and sent by Phoebe, servant of the church at Sincrea. Now, we talked about Phoebe before, but look at Romans 16, verse 1. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord as become a saints, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. That's the attitude. That's the mentality. Pray one for another. 
help one another, give for one another, sacrifice for one another, serve one another. That's the mentality. And the Lord said of Phoebe, when she gets to your church at Rome and delivers that letter, you better take care of her needs. That's the attitude of a church whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. It has individuals who are, who are sacrificing for the other people in their church, and then the church takes care of those people because of their sacrificial giving and their sacrificial service to others. And that's the, that's the, the mentality we're going to develop here as a church. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.